is the last Sunday of the series, Setting the Table. There's a dramatic pause as the congregation falls into mild depression. Oh, you're going to end the series on worship? Yes, I am. Um, but it's not because I'm finished preaching all that the Word says about worship. Um, worship is so central to the life of a church, and it's a lot more than what most people realize. And we've been talking about setting the table, and just by way of review, if you set the table, he will come. You build a life of worship, he will come, bless that, your life. If we become a church that is obsessed with exalting Jesus, he will draw, he will supernaturally, remarkably draw all men and women to himself. If we become a church that worships in spirit and in truth, our community will feel the impact. Amen? And so, by way of review, we started out by acknowledging the fact that the world isn't friendly to the Lord. When God came to earth, there was no place for him to even be born. Jesus said in his ministry, no place for the Son of Man to even lay his head. And in the last book of the Bible, he said, I stand at the door, not outside the church, trying to get in. And we, we want to change that. We want him to be welcome here. Because where he is welcome, things change for the good. The next week, we talked about the woman at the well whose life was a wreck. Emotionally, relationally, she was bankrupt. And Jesus said, the way out of that is to learn to worship my Father in spirit and in truth. In fact, he's seeking people that will do that. Then we talked about the fact that we are priests. We are not consumers. And we come to understand that priests are about worship. And it breaks it down to this. They worship sacrificially, not only when it's convenient or easy or within their skill set or natural gifting, or they're free to do it. They worship sacrificially and they understand all worship is a sacrifice so priests worship sacrificially and they serve others sacrificially and we came to understand we're not consumers consumers criticize and they they go on google reviews and tell people how good or bad it was but priests worship and they're consumed with edifying jesus and then we talked about how to get God's glory where you live. That the point of all this isn't just for the church to enjoy God's glory, the weight, the full experience of who he is, but that he wants to get, Isaiah 4 verse 5, he wants to get his glory at your kitchen table because that's where your children, that's where your family lives. How many of you want his glory where it really counts, at home, where your children, where your husband where your wife lives, where you do day to day. We want it here, make no mistake about it. But God said, my desire is to establish, not visit, but to establish my glory among every dwelling place, every place my people reside, I want to reside there with them. And then the last three weeks, we've talked, taking a look at Abraham's life. And um, we realized he was the father, he was, he's called the father of the faith. But he started, um, he was stuck behind the eight ball. He messed up, lied about his wife, slept with the wrong person. He should have known better. And um, the whole world is different 
all political tension, most of it goes back to that failure. And yet God still called him the father of the faith. Why is that? Because he learned how to build altars. He learned how to set the table. And in his weak character, God gave him a name that is a significant name because his character was transformed. And now when we think about Abraham, we don't think about all he did wrong. We think about the things he did right. And that he is our father in the faith. And we looked at that for three weeks. This morning, I want to talk to you. I want to revisit the priestly role. Say this with me. I am a priest. And turn and tell somebody beside you, and so are you. And so are you, and so are you. Genesis will start at the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 26, 7, and 8. Then God said, let us, capital U, make man in our, capital O, image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, to men, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have, and here's another royal, powerful word. It's kingly. It's a domain where somebody is in control. So they have a dominion. We see, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we see an original intent for man being created on the earth was that he would have dominion over everything else on the earth. It's interesting. I don't have time to go back through this. But you remember, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to the earth. And there's a reason why God came and created man, not on Jupiter or Mars, but on the earth. And we have a redemptive anointing to reclaim the earth. God didn't make a mistake, but somebody who had free will, Lucifer did in heaven. He rebelled in heaven and boom, to the earth and darkness was here. And God said, I'm gonna rectify that. And he put us here and gave us dominion. Now you notice it says, over every creeping thing, everything that creeps on the earth, you will have dominion on it. You've probably noticed like me, there's a lot of creeps on the earth. <laughs> and there's a lot of creeping going on. And I don't have time to unpack what that means, but there's a lot of things slithering a lot of other creeps trying to get us distracted and rob us of our right to have dominion in the next chapter. And the one after that, we see the story of one of the creeps that twisted what God said and got Adam and Eve to sin. And then they forfeited the right to be in control. And then Satan had control. They gave him the keys. And Jesus, when he came out of the temptation, Satan said, if you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of it. And Jesus didn't say, you can't give it all to me. It ain't yours. Because he knew Adam and Eve had given it to him, but Jesus came to get it back 
and give it to us, but he wasn't going to get it on Satan's terms. A lot of times we want what God's giving us and we want a shortcut because we don't want to bring a sacrifice and so we want a shortcut and get it on Satan's terms. That's what the flesh does. And, and Jesus said, no, I'm not going to bow down and worship you. I'm going to take the long cut. I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to get the key back from you, and I'm going to give it to the rightful sons and daughters of God. And that's what the Bible teaches. Amen. And so every we were created to have dominion, original intent. We lost it. And then Romans 5 teaches that Jesus came, the second Adam, to get everything back, the first Adam, lost. And this is why Paul said, and you'll hear me talk about this verse a lot, verse 17 of chapter 5 in Romans, where Paul said, everything you lost, you get it back in Jesus, and then some, so that, so that you can reign in life. And that's not like, Reign in life. That's what does that mean? That life can work for you. You can be alive and enjoy living. This is John 10. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Your ability to reign, to reign is to do what you're supposed to do, the way you're supposed to do it, when you're supposed to do it, to just enjoy life. And, and Paul said. Everything Satan stole from Adam and Eve, Jesus has come, the second Adam, and gotten it back so that you can reign in life. And I pray, oh God, let your spirit of revelation manifest in this place so that we can live, that we can live and have dominion again, be able to govern ourselves under the authority that God has given us. Now, Carter Conlon in his book, It's Time to Pray, says in the first chapter there's a type of religion in the world that has no bearing on what God is able to do it can talk about God but it is without faith and the power of God it cannot make a difference in somebody's life and sadly that's true so many of our religious church experiences taste great but they're less feeling there's not enough power. There's not enough life. There's not enough change. And Carter talks about it. There's a form of religion that has no bearing or understand what, understanding of what God is able to do. And I believe there's a reason why it's that way. And it's related to worship. People have not understood. They are priests. They are worshipers. And worship is what gets you back the ability to have the key to have dominion and reign in life. In Exodus, partly review as we talked about the priesthood of the believers. Remember, Exodus is from the second book, Genesis, Exodus. Exit us. God exits his people from Egyptian bondage because he's a de deliverer. He saved you to get you out of bondage. And now once you're out of bondage, he calls us to the mountain and reminds us that we are his, he wants us to be his special treasure. He loves us. And he teaches at the mountain, if you worship, you'll get not only out of bondage, that was my work, 
but I'll get you. If you learn to worship, I'll get you through the wilderness into your place of promise. And in your place of promise, you're going to have to keep worshiping me too because that's how life is sustained. And we look at Exodus 19 and we see some royal words. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that's worship, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Say that, kingdom of priests. Say it, kingdom of priests. A kingdom. There's a dominion that will have kings, and that will be a kingdom, and it will have royal authority from heaven in the earth, a kingdom made up of people who understand their priestly role. Say it again, I am a priest. I am a priest. And turn and tell somebody again, and so are you. This is so critical that we get this. Um, then in the New Testament, Peter says this in 2 verse 5 of his first book, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. God's spirit is working in you now to make you a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual, here's that word, sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And not every sacrifice is acceptable to God. God's pretty picky about worship, what worship really is. And so we see in the New Testament, here he is again. And, and the writer is saying, what God said he was going to do in Exodus way back in the Old Testament, he's doing it. He's doing it. He's making us a spiritual house. And then the last book of the Bible in the first chapter says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. King, See this royal language? Here it is again. Kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory, and there's a, there it is again, dominion forever and ever, amen. Now, some of you, most of you are going, I'm a priest. I don't think I'm a priest, Pastor Chuck. I like this church and I like worship, but I'm not a priest. Yes, you are. And the, the, the degree to which you embrace that, understand that and embrace it, will tell the story of whether you reign in life or not. And, and I come to Break up the stereotype of what in your mind is a priest. Most of us think, I'm not Catholic, and I'm not a father, so I'm not a priest. And I don't wear a special, unique shirt that nobody else wears except other priests. And I'm not Episcopalian either. I'm not a member of the clergy. And our idea is that it's some formal title, some role that high-minded church people, that's who leads. Or some of you go, Pastor Chuck, we're not Catholic, but if we were, you would be our priest because you're the one that leads all the stuff and preaches most of the time. And that's partly true, but I'm not the only priest. God's saying, you may remember, 12 tribes, only one of them said, we're, we're in. And so they became the only tribe of priests, Levites. And, and that's about the 14%. That's about what most people go, I get it. And I, I'm coming to break up your understanding that don't sit there and think, I'm from Tennessee. I'm from, I grew up in North Georgia. I'm, 
My, I've been in a Christian family my whole life, but I ain't no priest. I come to break that up. Because what does that lead to? It leads to you having this mentality that a fourth-string quarterback has on game day. A red-shirt sophomore who really just goofs off during the week because he realized, I ain't even going to play. And they know way all three starting QBs ahead of me are going to go down, and then I'm going to have to play. And so you got the jersey, you're on the sidelines. You've even learned how to stand near the coach because he's going to get on TV. And if you stand near the coach, you, go, <laughs> you know, you do that. And I'm, I'm, there's a lot of creeping things that you got to get over in your life. And the biggest thing is the creeping understanding that worship is for somebody else to do for you. You are a priest. You are a chosen generation, a member of a holy nation, and you are someone that declares the praises of God who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now say it like you believe it. I am a priest. Say it again. I am a priest. Now, we are priests because Jesus became our high priest. Um, the word priest in Latin means, it's the word pontifex, and it means bridge builder. That's what a priest means. And when you look at the etymology of the word, the word, the root word pont means a bridge. Pontage is what you pay to be able to cross a bridge. And pontoon is not just a boat for old people. A pontoon, no offense to those who cruise around with their family on a pontoon. Not too much offense. But a pontoon is, listen, it's literally in Latin, a floating bridge. And this is great to understand that we are bridge builders. We are, we are bridges. We build things that get people from one place to the other. Just like Jesus did, our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Jesus came on the cross and said, there is an eternal problem, a separation since the fall, Adam and Eve, and now we are eternally separated from God. And that's not the original intent. And so Jesus came, sent by God, to build a bridge so that we can be completely forgiven and that we can be restored in relationship to God. And so Jesus is going, I got to get peep God back down in here where the people are. And then God says to the people, and you are to do the same thing. You are to build bridges. And what a bridge. We got a whole religious system in America where every road, every lost person is on, there's a sign that says bridge out just ahead. There's no way to get from where you are to where God wants you to be. Because we go, I'll get, I, I want to get them to church on Sunday. Maybe that's not a route they're on. Maybe God wants you to just do this to get somebody connected Somebody from where they are, which is where they shouldn't be, to where they need to be. 
where God wants them to be. We are priests, your children, dads especially. Your priestly role isn't like Jesus told the Pharisees, quit acting like you're all that, wearing your, pulling out your I'm a priest card every time you want to make a grand decision over in your marriage or over your family. Quit doing that. He said, the Pharisees run around with their collar on going, hey, call me father. He said, don't, it's interesting. Jesus said, don't call any man father because you only have one. I'm not picking on any sects of the Christian faith, but I am preaching into why we have this fourth string quarterback mentality. Even in worship, some of you stood there on the sideline watching everybody else get their jersey dirty. The manager hadn't had to wash your uniform in three years. It's time you get off the bench in the game and say, I have called and equipped and destined to get in the game. Amen? We need some dads that go, I got to get him down here. I got to get some priestly anointing. I got to worship sacrificially, serve sacrificially. That's what priests do. To be a bridge to, to get God into this situation. And, and we don't do it because we don't understand that we're called to be priests. And, and I I'm afraid our faith, like Carter Conlon says, we, we, we have too many things on the list of impossible for God. And there, that list gets short. And we say, I'm called to be a priest. If I build the bridge, God will come. If I set the table, God will come into that situation. If I, if I understand the priesthood, and if I do it biblically, in spirit and in truth. In fact, let me remind you, God is seeking He's looking for people to do this. And I'm not talking about mild, charismatic worship, you know, like carry the flat screen TV worship. I'm talking about building the bridge. Y'all understand the difference? And this is why I, I got to move on or I'll get caught up in all kinds of stuff. Now, look what Hebrews says when it talks about, he, the writer reminds us that Jesus, Jesus He's the great high priest who paid the price once and for all. You don't have to give your blood anymore. Jesus paid it. You, you'll have to sacrifice and worship. But look what he says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who's the great high priest? Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Everybody look here. This is the writer saying, even Jesus came and worshiped sacrificially. He, it cost him something. He didn't just show up and was a divine robot and went to a cross. And the writer saying, he purchased the ability to make us priests. And so look what he says. This is the payoff. So then let us therefore come boldly to the throne. To the what? To the throne. To the what? Who has thrones? Kings. And what we're seeing here is he, he paid the price so that we can now come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see what I see? He's saying God through Jesus built the bridge to get us so that we can now, just like Jesus, come as priests to the throne where the king of all kings is and ask for what we need when we need it and he will give it to us.
Somebody praise the Lord in this place. All right. Uh, just a strategic mental pause. Mental pause, not menopause. Everybody got it? So we're called to be priests, bridge builders. Now, look if... I got to make sure everybody gets it. I know there's so many different degrees of biblical understanding in here, and I want to preach to help everybody get it. So if I get my worship right, everything else will be right. Yes. So your job isn't to work for God. It's to get your worship right. His worship, but you know what I'm saying. And this is why... In Ezekiel, the prophet, at a time where they needed some reformation, things were messed up. Why were they messed up? Because the priests were out of order. And in verse 18 of Ezekiel 44, there's a great verse that most of you have probably never seen. And it says this, telling the priests how to dress. How many of you know God is rather picky and specific about what worship is? Got three of us. A guy got killed one time because they said, hey, we want to, let's take the presence of God, the ark. How are we going to take it? Get Jim Bob's Ford F-150, put it on the back of that truck. Yeah, all right. Dadgummit, we went over a bump. Uzzah! Y'all know this story? You don't just, hey, what we got here? Because God was saying, there's a, there's a specific way to steward my presence. When holy comes to earth, the people who carry holy need to understand how holy wants to be carried. Y'all out there? And so when we talk about God is rather specific. Now it's attainable. You can do it because he's put his spirit in you and he's told you. In the book... Killer Church, Nathan Finocchio talks about he married a, a girl from Europe and he's from Canada. And the whole first chapter is about getting worship right. And he's like, my wife likes avocado toast. And he's like, I grew up in the country in Canada. That ain't breakfast. Who likes avocado toast? Now I know we're North Atlantans. We're like, yeah, I dig what you, and, and avocado, Pastor Chuck, do you know what all avocado does for you? Well, Nathan grew up and he's like, we eat omelets at best. That's, I mean, that's just eggs, and you, know, you mix it all together. And he's like, it took me two years to figure out. Just get her the avocado toast. <laughs> Stop going to the gas station and grabbing a microwavable hot pocket. <laughs> Take the girl to get, it'll change your marriage. God likes Avocado toast. <laughs> Don't get an egg McMuffin. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And we go, he can live on egg McMuffins. At least I'm giving him something. You might lose your spiritual inheritance because you're like, no, I'll worship God on my terms. You can't do that. Or anybody picking up what I'm putting down? So... In Ezekiel 44, when you do it right, he says, Now tell the priests they shall have linen turbans on their heads 
and linen trousers on their bodies. Linen, ah, I hated linen stuff growing up. It was like itchy. It was. But he says this, they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. The name of this sermon is the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not sweat it. <laughs> Serious. as a heart attack. There's debate, commentators, theologians debate on what that fully means. But when you look at the whole passage and you look at all of scripture, here's the message God's telling you. Get your worship right. That's easy. Don't try to do what I'm asking you to do in your strength. You can't raise godly children if you don't worship biblically. But if you worship biblically, there's a covenant. You won't have to strive and worry and be stricken with anxiety and fear even in a COVID world. Oh, I feel something bubbling up on me. Get your worship right and COVID and Fauci and crooked elections and whatever concerns you, don't sweat it. Pastor Chuck, are you serious? As a heart attack. I've counted the cost. I've told you. Somebody asked me yesterday, Friday at a wedding, Pastor Chuck, do you get any flack for what you said last week? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, did y'all post that online? Like, yeah, what do you mean? On YouTube? Yeah. And you haven't gotten any flack? Like, no. I'm not sure if it falls in the right ears. We might. But I've counted the cost. I'm not going to sweat it. What we just sang, I meant it. In the fire, I will rejoice. If they put me in Fulton County or take me to Milledgeville, I pray Acts 12 verse 5 will be true. While Pastor Chuck was in prison, the church was earnestly praying. There was worship going on so that Pastor Chuck didn't sweat it, nor was the church sweating it. Are y'all, you're, you're gifted, and we in this room are really gifted people. We're educated and affluent. Those are the three hardest people. We are at a disadvantage. People who are gifted, talented, are usually prideful. People who are highly educated are not usually humble. People who are gifted and highly educated usually have money. And Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You're only here because his spirit has broken through and it's his amazing grace that God us. We're not down and outers. We are people who used to be up and outers, but now we are in and we are priests of the most high God. Come on, somebody, you got to shout for me because my voice is running out. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't know how much of this I'll get to, but let me just say, you know, I didn't say this in first service, not even in my notes, but I've been around in ministry, full-time ministry since 1989. I've seen worship. I grew up with choirs. I saw the worship renewal of the late 80s, early 90s when Integrity Music came along, and we went from choirs to praise teams. And I saw the worship renewal in the 90s where there was an explosion because 
It wasn't sit down like four-string quarterbacks and let the choir minister to us. And I'm not against choirs, but I am against the impact that choirs can have if choirs aren't done right and if congregations aren't taught the priesthood of the believer. And so I saw the renewal of worship in the 90s. And I've traveled all over the world, especially all over our nation. And I still travel, not as much as I used to, and I limit it. And I tell people, my friends that ask me to come preach in their church, I don't, I've told a lot of them no because I, I want to be here. I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. And I miss this place when I'm not here. And there's not a, I'm serious. I, would, I wouldn't rather preach anywhere. There's no invitation. Being right here, what God's doing in our church is where I want to be. But let me tell you something. The last 15 years, worship renewal has turned into worship industry. And we now have worship artists. I have a friend of mine, if I named the local label from this city that's taken the worship industry by fire, a high, highly respected pastor who said, I will never have them back because of what they were doing backstage and out in the back. And it would shock some of you if you knew, but not me, because I've been discerning and listening. Satan, just like we talked about last week, you put your altar on the offering, the buzzards are coming. And, and worship has turned into same thing as choirs. Why am I telling you all this? Because I'm engaged in the worship. I'm going to have an opinion about how we worship at this church, and I make no apology about it. Why? Because I'm guarding the altar. And, and I understand, and I, and, and the song, there's so many songs right now that are being written, you go, that ain't even good theology. I mean, it's like terrible theology. And Jesus is not our boyfriend, and he didn't come to make us cool. And we don't need to make him relevant. He is he is holy and he is righteous. And those, how do we ascend the hill of the Lord? We have clean hands and purified hearts that come when people understand their priestly role and they know how to stop by the laver and wash their hands and get purified and go over and look at the lamp and see. I'm talking Old Testament furniture. They hear from God, then they go in. God, give us an understanding of how important worship is, that our priestly role, when we as a church can do this to Alpharetta, Roswell, Woodstock, Ackworth, Kennesaw, Dunwoody, Marietta, Sandy Springs, Norcross, Cumming, Johns Creek, they're counting on us. They're counting on, could somebody help me get across this chasm? Are the bridges out? Is there a place? We praise you, Lord. Let me just close with this right here. Three things. I, I, I've got to capsulize some. At the end of Nathan um, Finocchio's book, Killer Church, he says three things in the chapter under the anointed church. He says, the prophetic identity of a church matters. Everybody look here. The prophetic understanding of who God's called us to be, it matters. And when we are comfortable in that and we teach that, the right people come and the wrong people leave. 
And it's not that they're bad people. They just, they don't identify with God's calling on us. But when we understand, and you may go, Pastor Chuck, what is the prophetic, prophetic identity? Hear me. If you listen to my the sermons the Lord gives me, we are called to be a container of God's glory. We're a vertical church. It's not about me or you. It's not about trying to get people here by gimmicks. It's if we can get God here in worship, we'll be a container for his glory. Y'all out there? And the second thing, we're called to disciple men and challenge men so that families can be strong and we can reach the next generation of those growing up in our house and those that are tormented by a culture that is our culture we've built that they've grown up in and the sexual confusion and the fentanyl and heroin it's not their fault they've grown up in it and they are they are victims to what we have built for them in this country but may God I'm going deep right now I didn't go deep at 8:30 I'm going deep because let's be real we laugh at Ah, the gender jokes. They cry. They, they have bought a lie that what has happened to them, our whole world is telling them a lie. And until we build a portal, a bridge to say, come on, come on, we can get you from here to there, from here to there. That's the calling. That's the anointing of the church on that. That's the prophetic calling over Restoration Church. Secondly, the, perfect, the prophetic identity of a church is cultivated. Nathan says, human beings are desperately looking to be a part of something that matters. And if we cannot define our prophetic vision, what we are anointed for, we will leave our people purposeless. Thirdly and lastly, he says, we need to get away from a focus on gifts and an emphasis on priesthood. This should be sermon next week to extend this series, but y'all won't let me. I see that look on your faces. An emphasis off of gifts and on the priesthood. Why? So many of us are so bound. We worship Enneagram. I'm a seven. I don't work in the children's nursery. I'm a seven. I'm a greeter. I don't work in the parking lot, except when it's sunshiny day. And we go, my gifts. No. And we think God only uses people only in their gifts. No. When you understand what God does, sometimes he anoints people to do something they're not even gifted for so that when he does it through them everybody goes God had to do that Moses Noah Josh we could go all the way down the list are y'all out there come on somebody so what have I said today I've said this the anointed church I'm sorry number one you were created in the image of God to have dominion say amen Say a better amen. amen. Adam lost it all for us when he sinned against God. Say, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Through true worship, you can get it back. Say, yes, I can. Yes, I can. 
You are a royal priest, a member of the holy nation. Say, yes, I am. Come on, say, yes, I am. You are, a build, you are building bridges to get God to people in situations and people to God. Say, yes, I am. And thou shalt not sweat it. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Hallelujah. I want you to just, listen, don't leave this room and come back next Sunday having not paid attention in the film room about our opponent. You football players will get that. Next week, I want you to come back to church with a dirty uniform because you've been working but not sweating. Y'all out there, come on. Don't make me walk down there and say amen for what God is saying to us this morning. You are a priest. You are a priest. You are a priest, Matt. We underestimate ourselves. Jared, you are a mighty man of valor, my brother. Rick, Richard Jordan, it's not too late. You delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Banks Ramsey, you don't have to be a 40-year-old experienced minister. You're 24. Just keep building bridges, son, to your generation like this right here. Hallelujah. Dean and Lisa, it's not your gifting. It's his anointing. It's his calling to this worship team. We care how it sounds, but we don't really care. It's not getting the right chords. It's not having the mix perfect. You miss a lyric, you miss a chord. It's about being priests. Lead us in. And y'all know, unfortunately, you're the tip of the spear. Y'all go out before the rest of us. Y'all like the cupbearer. They may kill y'all and we might survive. The enemy comes and if you're a real worshiper, you know he comes. And if we're a real priesthood of the believers, we'll go, not on my watch, not today, Satan. You're not gonna get our worship team. We're praying for them. Some of them show up on Sunday mornings at 5.30 a.m. They'll be here, some of them, seven, eight hours. There are priests here that'll be here 10 hours today, but we ain't sweating it. Why? Because we got it right. And God is coming. You hear me. God is one more time in this nation. Don't let the lying media tell you what's going on. Do not do it. Because when I pray, I don't get worried. I get expectant. I get joy filled. Satan has never called checkmate on our God. Hallelujah. God is in control. He is the king. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. In Jesus' name. So brothers and sisters, be built up, be edified, be people of faith. Troy, I see you in Jesus' name. What he's doing in you is a profound work, my brother. It's a profound work in the name of Jesus. I just see prophetic lights going on all over this place. It's not too late. It's not too late. Nothing is impossible with our God. This is a place, we're not doing church as usual because we're, we're in a nation that's not doing business as usual, that we understand our last day's calling. Can I get a witness up in here? In the mighty name of Jesus. 
156 men were in the gym at 7 a.m. yesterday. I wish you could have heard the worship. Less and less do we have third and fourth string QBs sitting back. We have, you should have heard the testimonies. God is at work. That's our prophetic calling. We're gonna get his glory here. It's here. God's gonna raise up men, marriages, and families. Y'all are world changers. You are difference makers. You are anointed. What the enemy meant for evil over your generation, God is gonna turn it around for your good and for his good. Come on, somebody, lift up a war cry of praise. Hallelujah. We magnify you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Just say it, I receive it. Now listen, go change the world this week. Build bridges in Jesus' name. I love y'all. Have a great afternoon.